Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Um, really blessed, brother. Amen, amen. Also with us, as always, is the show's producer, Tony Palacio. How are you doing today, bro? Did you almost forget my name there? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm getting right back into the swing of things. If you guys know, we're, this is now our second full week in a row. We've got Joe back. So I am getting back into the swing of things of our entire you know opening presentation. So. Well, I'm doing good. So no, well, praise praising God. God. <laughs> hey, amen to that, Tony. Forgot so. to answer your question. You know, it's going to be great because we're going to be talking about election, not the election today. Uh, But before we do, I wanted to talk a little bit about just simply thanking you guys. Uh, I know we try to do this as much as we possibly can because from the bottom of our hearts, you guys are the reason that we are able to continue not only with um, all the different ministries we have going on at Good Fight Ministries, but as I see in our studio right now, uh, Josh just walked in, one of the editors that we added specifically because we were able to go on Patreon. And so if you got you guys who are on Patreon, patreon.com slash goodfight, thank you guys so much. We've literally been able to add someone to the staff who is now in the studio while we're trying to record. I don't know what he thinks he's doing, but uh, <laughs> exciting stuff that, that we can have that because I know Joe's been working so hard. Uh, you've been working really hard on the Marvel documentary that we have working. Uh, we're also doing an Islam documentary as well. And it's so awesome to be able to have two guys that can be editing things with Tony and Josh as well. And that is because we have Patreon. You guys have donated throughout the year. You guys uh, send donations or, or, or buy materials that you can get out. And a lot of that, that all just goes right back to the ministry. So thank thank you guys so much. Amen. For that. We're appreciative. Very before, much so. before we get into it. And the thing is, is this topic that we're going to be discussing is one that can be really difficult. I think it's it sometimes can be hard to wrap our minds and our heads around these things. So we want to try to do the best job possible of expressing not the idea of the election, but the idea of election, the corporate election, salvation. Yeah. Salvation. These are topics that we bring up all the time because they're important. And when it comes to discipleship, if you're, if you're discipling other young men uh, and women in the faith, one of the things you'd probably need to deal with right away is soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Amen. How man is saved. Um, th- this is really, really important. And if you don't get this right in the very beginning, I think people can be led astray by false teachers. People can be led astray by people, and they can have a lot of questions about their own salvation and assurance and all that. Sure. And so this is why we talk about it a lot. But today, we want to talk specifically about what corporate election is. So, Joe, with all that, what is what is corporate election? Yeah, corporate <laughs> election... Uh, there's different views on election. Uh, Calvinism teaches that, you know, uh, especially the popular two-point, or I should say uh, double predestination, five-point Calvinism, but double predestination, the idea that, you know, God predestined people to heaven and predestined the greater mass of humanity to hell, irrevocably by divine decree, unconditionally before they ever existed, 
Uh, he wanted to glorify himself by having most people be tormented for eternity in the lake of fire. Uh, that's not scriptural. It's beneath the glory of the uh, all-loving, all-benevolent, thrice-holy, perfectly just God, uh, who says when he comes against his own people who fell into sacrificing their children in the fire to Moloch, that I never decreed this, according to English Standard Version, which is a Calvinistic uh, version, never decreed this, and it had never came into my mind. Well, it never came into his mind. That was never his heart, you know. But to say he decreed it, you know, is horrible. Uh, we disagree with that view of election, which has been on the rise with, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the Calvinism that has been resurging. Uh, we count Calvinists who believe those types of things. Some believe in single predestination. Well, people are, you know, elected or chosen and predestined to heaven, but he just passes by the rest and lets them go to hell. Uh, well, that's the net effect. It's the same thing, you know. Yes. He doesn't <laughs> die for them. He doesn't want to save them. He created them to be doomed ultimately. So it's just semantics at that point. Uh, there's different views on election. Uh, there's the view of foreknowledge that God foreknows who will respond to the gospel. Uh, the elect uh, corporate election uh, believes that uh, election is based on Christ and Christocentric election. And I I like to use that term more than corporate election, although same meaning, because it's Christ-centered. He's primary. Uh, he's the one that's glorified. He's the elect one. And we become part of the elect in our relationship, our association being in Christ. Uh, although I do believe the Bible does teach that uh, God foreknows those all things, and he's omniscient, and he does certainly know who will respond to the gospel and who will not. And I believe that uh, salvation is not just corporate, and election is not just corporate, but also is individual. And God uh, has a love be for all of us before we come to Christ. He loves the world before we've been created. He sets his affection on the world. He's going to send his son, and he foreknows uh, intimately those who will respond to the gospel. And uh, he saves them. But I believe there's truth to corporate election. There's truth to individual. Uh, I believe it might be better put that election is corporate and involves all those who meet the conditions of coming to Christ, becoming part of his corporate body as he's the corporate head, he's the chosen one. And that predestination is by foreknowledge, even though there's foreknowledge involved, certainly in corporate election. Uh, but he predestined, those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And predestined has, predestination has to do with God predestining those who will receive Christ and become part of the elect group to be conformed to the image of his son and future uh, glorification as they are associated with that group through faith. So we're going to slow down a little bit <laughs> and uh, you'll start to get your head around if you've, you've got lost for a minute. But uh, it's hard and, and you have to, uh, you know, scriptures say Peter uh, wrote that some uh, Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand, yeah. and I believe part of that is his his teachings on uh, in Romans on on election predestination what have you. But the more you become uh, conversant with it and you look at it, the easier it's a lot easier to understand that you might think. You just gotta. So I'm gonna slow down a little bit. I know we only have so much time to deal with this, and we're gonna talk about corporate election. But I will say this: that we believe that not only in corporate election, but that we also believe in individual. Uh, predestination according to foreknowledge, as I mentioned. We also believe in libertarian free will, that there are genuine choices yeah. where there's more, there's a, an alternative to rebellion against God. Uh, we don't believe 1 Corinthians 10, 13 can be true if everything was predetermined like Calvinists teach and that you have no real choices that are genuine choices without God predetermining you to make those choices. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, you know, uh, 
that temptation is common to all men. Yeah. All men. And God is faithful who with the temptation will also give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, there's an alternative route you can't take. It's so clear in Scripture. Choose us day whom you will serve. And he holds us accountable for our choices. So we believe in libertarian free will. We believe in uh, not just corporate election and, and individual uh, predestination according to foreknowledge uh, and so forth. And But we also believe in counterfactual knowledge that God also knows uh, every possibility that could take place in this world. In fact, when David is hiding from King Saul in Kila, and he asks the Lord, uh, is King Saul going to come here? You know, and are the people going to deliver me to him into his hands? You know, and he's concerned about that. Now, David had just saved those in Kila from being destroyed by a wicked army. They, they owed their lives to him. But the Lord tells him, if you stay here, King Saul's coming. And they will, yes, hand you over to him. And he would be killed. So he tells David, if he wants to live, he better take off. And David takes off. So it shows you the Lord very clearly knows. I mean, in another case, we brought up, we did a whole message on counterfactual knowledge. So God is way beyond the Calvinistic version of God. Our God knows every possibility and what would take place in every possibility. Uh, Calvinism teaches that God can only foreknow the future if he predetermines it, scripts it. That's a weaker version of God. So our view of God is more biblical. It's it's a higher view of God. He's far more sovereign. He's the ultimate uh, chess player. And it's far more loving. He's a benevolent God who wills that all would be saved and gave himself for all. Why would we want to reject what we call biblicism? And that's because we don't call ourselves, hey, we're Arminians. There's some truth in Arminianism. We don't call ourselves Molinists and, and, and espouse Molinism, even though there's scripture that is that, that Molinists use. That's actually, the scripture is true. You know, there's aspects of Molinism that are true. Uh, we don't call ourselves uh, by these tip, the Calvinists, of course. And provisionists. But, yeah, and provisionists. Yeah, we reform. call ourselves biblicists. And, yeah. Because the Bible does talk about, <laughs> you know, libertarian free will. The Bible does talk about foreknowledge. The Bible does talk about, you know, uh, uh, counterfactual knowledge does talk about uh, the Bible is very clear that there's corporate election. So we believe everything the Bible teaches and it, and and we affirm all of it. And and even in, you know, Arminianism is very close to what we believe. Uh, however, we don't get involved too much in, say, the Calvinistic and Arminian debate in, in the Molinist view even as to, you know, what decree came first. You know, you can get into that philosophically and have great discussions. We have some of those discussions you know, I've talked about it. I'll continue to talk about it. It's very interesting. But you can only put your stakes down where the scriptures are clear on anything. Mm -hmm. And that's where we tend to majors. What does the Bible actually teach? So in regard to corporate election, uh, the that when we talk about corporate election or Christocentric election, we're talking about God electing a group of people. A lot of times, I think it's our Western mindset very much. We like to think about, I've been predestined, you know. God had favor upon me. And it becomes very self-focused, where election in scripture is Christocentric. It's Christ-focused and that he would have a bride, that he would have a people. It speaks of a group of, of believers, yes, that would be incorporated into his body. And when you go through the Old Testament, you have this corporate view of salvation and you have a corporate view of God's people. And sometimes we speak in theology of corporate solidarity, where it's like, wow, these people did this, you know, over here, you know, but God's getting down on the whole group of Israelites. It's like there's this corporate uh, mentality, which does isn't really understood with a Western mentality off, often. So it's important for us to understand that in the Old Testament, Abraham is the corporate head of Israel. It's in your association. This, this might be the best way for you to understand it. You became, you could be a proselyte, a Gentile, but you could become a member of the people of Israel through conversion. 
uh, by by faith and and heeding to the teachings of God that were handed down uh, through Moses and the Mosaic Law, but began with his covenant with Abraham, then the new a newer covenant, which is not the new covenant, but then his covenant at Mount Sinai, whereby God gave the law to teach them they need to come to Messiah in what would be the coming new covenant. So understand this: if you were a child of Abraham, you were included in this corporate body called Israel. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those three are mentioned over and over again. And God pouring out his love and his grace, his said uh, upon them, was so often spoken of in relationship, their relationship to the head of this corporate people, Abraham. And I'm emphasizing Abraham because Abraham becomes a picture of Christ, who is the corporate head of the body of Christ. But you became part of this elect group, but it was conditional. Now, you were born into this group, but if you were a child of Abraham according to the flesh, the scripture is real clear, but you rejected uh, the faith of Abraham and you rejected the law of Moses, you were cut off from that elect group. You could only be part of that group and part of that, that corporate body through having the faith of Abraham. In fact, Abraham, we read in chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 of uh, the book of Nehemiah, you are the Lord God who chose Abraham. See, he's the chosen one. You chose Abraham, he's the elect one, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. And he goes on to say, you found his heart faithful to you. You see, God did just wham, boom, you know, I'm choosing you. No, he left his father who was an idolater in his household and he found him faithful. Abraham had a series of tests. In fact, in Hebrews, I think it's around 11, 8, he's in the Hall of Faith chapter as an example to us because he had faith and we're called to have the faith of our father Abraham. We're children of God through faith in Christ and we're children of Abraham, Galatians chapter 3, through uh, faith. We're not Israelites in the sense that we become Jews. We're not Israelites according to the flesh, if you're a Gentile believer, but you're in the household of faith now. And he goes on to say, uh, you're, you're, he found his heart faithful, you know, and, and that's very important. So Abraham becomes the corporate head of the body of Israel. In fact, uh, we read in Deuteronomy 4.37, because he loved your ancestors, okay, and God's talking to the children of Israel now, he chose their descendants after them and brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great power. So they become part of the select group, his descendants, through what? Because of God's love for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. So this, this view is way different than God saying, I'm going to, oh, you know what? I just, one, two, three, four, you're getting in the door of heaven. Five, six, you're in a fix. You know, seven, eight, here's your fate. You're going to burn in hell. 9, 10, 11, oh, you're getting to heaven, where God arbitrarily just picks people for election for salvation and other for damnation to somehow show his glory. No, election here is related to God's favor shown upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his descendants, but it's conditioned upon whether or not they come to God through faith. In fact, it's interesting, he says in chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought with you with his mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now that's important to understand because there's various passages which talk about how if they did not have faith in the Lord, even though they were children of Abraham according to the flesh, 
that they would be cut off uh, from the elect people. That's in Deuteronomy 29, verses 18 through 20. If people want to check that out. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Several different passages. Deuteronomy chapter 13. There's a dreamer of dreams, and my people turn their hearts away from God. They're yeah. put to death. I mean, it's all over the scripture where you were cut off from the elect people because you weren't just part of the elect through physical being a physical descendant. You also had to come by faith. I think this is very important because when we talk about the elect, sometimes people speak of the elect as though, you know, it's people that don't exist, you know, but the elect are those in the New Testament who belong to the body of Christ. In fact, even the Jews in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about, in fact, I should turn there, you know, I don't have that written down, but it's a very, very powerful passage because it talks about the elect, but it contracts the elect Jews with those Jews who are not in the faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, I hope to get the right verse in mind here. Uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, he talks about in verse, I think it's verse 7, what then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen or elect obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Talk about the Jews who didn't believe in the Messiah. They were hardened. Notice it contracts the elect Jews with those who didn't believe in the Messiah and who were hardened. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest, meaning in contrast to those who were chosen, were hardened. So you have this elect group of Jews who believe. The rest are hardened. But you go on to read in Hebrews chapter 11, what do you read? Those who were hardened, because Israel was partially hardened, not all of them were hardened, if they don't continue in their unbelief, can be what? Grafted yeah, back, back in salvation, and then they would become Romans, members. Romans, Romans 11. 11. I thought I said Romans 11. You said Hebrews. Oh, I'm sorry. Back to <laughs> Hebrews again, right? I've been in Hebrews 11 a lot lately. It's talking but, about Hebrews, so you're okay. Yeah, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so isn't it interesting? The elect, Israel's the elect, those are the ones that are believing. The rest were hardened. But those who are hardened, if they don't continue in their unbelief, verse 23 of chapter 11 of Romans, can be grafted back in again. Guess what? That means they become part of the what again? Elect. So it shows you that you're not, um, so a lot of our Calvinist friends and our brothers that are Calvinists will go to Romans 9 and say, he hardened the Jews. He irrevocably hardened them to damnation. They have no chance, chance of salvation. There's no opportunity. He wanted to damn them. It's like, wait a second, man. You keep reading Romans 10 and Romans 11 and Paul's, you know, said that God saved the Gentiles, that they become jealous if, you know, they may come back. And then in Romans 11, 23, they can repent of that hardness and become part of that elect body again. So what we see is that there's an elect corporate body in, 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 in uh, the Old and the New Testament. And the New Testament is the body of Christ. And you come into it through faith in Christ. You know, and he's very clear that the Gentiles can be broken off from that body as well, or that tree of salvation in Romans 11, 20 through 22. Now it's interesting, uh, we read in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, uh, where John the Baptist talks to the Jews, the Pharisees who were who were you know all upset that he's baptizing people, but they're refusing to be baptized and they're checking him out. And he's you know that's we just dealt with this in another context or in deal, uh, the show is another context, but uh, dealing with repentance. But he says to them, "I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham," because they were like, "Oh, we're children of Abraham." They were according to the flesh, but they were refusing to be to repent and put their faith in the Messiah. So guess what? He says to them, you know, bring forth fruit and keep it with repentance. This is in verses 7 through 9. He says in verse 10, the axe is already laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. These guys thought they were elect. No, you're not elect if you don't put your trust in the Messiah. 
being a physical descendant wasn't enough. So uh, now it's important. It's like God's plan was always to broaden the children of Abraham beyond those who were children according to the flesh. It would be the Jews who also put their faith in, in, in the Lord and Messiah would be revealed in their hearts. But also in Hebrews, or I should say Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, what was God's purpose of saving Abraham? That through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So, and that's what's happening right now, you know, through Abraham's physical descendants, the Jews, Peter and James and John and Peter, they spread the gospel, right? And then to the Gentiles, and now we as Gentile believers and Jewish believers that are in our audience, we're continuing to spread the gospel to all the nations that through the blood of Christ and his resurrection, through his shed blood, his crucifixion for their sins and his glorious resurrection, they too can be saved. Now it's interesting, uh, Jesus upbraided the Jewish leaders as well who rejected him. He says, you search the scriptures diligently. I believe that's John 5, because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's these that speak of me, you know. So it's very interesting in John 8, uh, and he says in that same passage, by the way, I'm saying these things that you may be saved. You know, he wanted them to be part of the elect, but you couldn't be part of the elect unless you came to Christ through faith. Then you become part of that corporate elect Christocentric body makes perfect sense when you go through scripture, especially when the strength of this is that it's based on Old Testament teaching on corporate election. And that's how many of the Jews understood election, you know? And that's how uh, Paul obviously appears to understand it by the Holy Spirit when you read Romans. But listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 39 through 41, and also beginning of uh, 44. Abraham is our father, the Jews were saying. They answered, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. You belong to your father. So it's really clear that, uh, you know, they belong to their father, the devil, spiritually, even though they were physical descendants of Abraham. So Paul also understands, makes a distinction between those who are elect to salvation and those Jews whom he calls the rest, as I mentioned already. But we read this now, and let me read it together now, because it's really powerful when you read it together. Romans 11, uh, verse 7, then 20, and then verse 23. So I did write it down. It was just a page later. I'm like, man, I wish I would have wrote that first down. <laughs> but I have my Bible here too. He says, what then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened. The rest are not the elect. It's very, very clear. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. And if they do not persist in unbelief, Paul says, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. What's the condition of being elect? Faith. Faith in Jesus. Every time. It's very clear. <laughs> and our Calvinistic friends, they want to kind of divorce faith in Christ uh, as the condition of salvation with election. But God's joined together. Let no man separate, you know. It's very, very clear that God wills that all will be saved, but you have to come by God's terms. And that's what Romans 9 is about. They were boasting in their works. Yeah. Uh, they were boasting in their ancestry. We have Abraham as our father, you know. And then he goes on to show that some of Abraham's descendants were lost, you know. His point is, guess what? You know, it's not just being a physical an ancestor or having them in your physical ancestry that saves you. That doesn't save you at all, really. You have to come to faith in Messiah. Yeah, and I think uh, this is a good time to point out, you know, just Romans as a whole, it, it, reading it from understanding what is being broken down from chapter Powerful, one. I think beautiful book. one of the most biggest things I know in, in my discipleship group, one of the things I did was I, I gave different 
books to different guys that were trying to learn. And uh, to Nico, I gave him Romans because I knew he'd like that and uh, enjoy that. And I remember that, you book. sat you sat down with Trent and Nico brought him friend, over. Yeah. And it was Romans 9 and understanding yeah. it properly in its context that brought him away from Calvinism yeah. in its understanding. Yeah, and it was a strong Calvinist that taught at John MacArthur's uh, uh, under, under, under him, I guess. But he, Nico brought him and he was like, and Trent's a sweet guy, you know, really neat guy. And and I think we went to my office and we spent uh, just maybe 40 minutes in Romans 9. And now it became his favorite passage to refute Calvinism when you understand the context. No, amen. And uh, we actually, you did it during a live Q&A. We went through Romans 9. Yeah. Sub- and we yeah. turned two of those episodes into a Good Fight radio show episode as well. So you guys can check that out. That it literally is just intro and then you can hear for two episodes your Romans 9 episode. And I know Tony can put the link in the description. Yeah, that would be awesome. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, Paul talks about this election. But I want you to focus on this. Notice the election is tied to being in Christ, in Him, in Christ. In fact, we don't have time to go through all Ephesians over and over again, in Him, in almost every verse for a while, in Him, in Him. It's all about being in Jesus, guys. It's all about Jesus. Election is Christocentric, whether we'll come to Him or not. Praise be to God, verse 3 of chapter 1, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him. You're not chosen independently of Jesus by some arbitrary decree. You're, you're chosen based on whether or not you're going to be in him or not. And you have a real choice to make as to whether or not you're going to put your trust in Jesus. And the Lord says you're without excuse. Uh, in fact, in, in John chapter 3, verse 18, after Jesus says, For God so loved the world that gave his only God, Son, whoever believes and shall not perish but have eternal life, and uh, that he come to the world to condemn the world to whom he saved. In verse 18, it talks about those who are condemned. They're condemned because they won't believe in the, they don't believe in the only begotten Son. There's condemnation. Obviously, there's responsibilities whether you believe in him or not. But if you put your trust in him, you'll be among, uh, among those who are the elect. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. In love, he chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. This was his plan, okay? And guess what? The scriptures are very clear that Christ is the chosen one. And we're only chosen if we come to him and become part of the corporate head. In fact, listen to these scriptures that talk about how Jesus is the chosen one. It helps us understand a lot better. This is God himself declaring the Father. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, Matthew 12, 18. Luke 9, 35. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is what the Apostle John declares. I have been, I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one, John 1, 34. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 4, uh, and I think it's a very beautiful verse, or uh, uh, verse 6, for Scripture says, See, I lay in Zion, a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who puts his trust in him will never be put to shame. So he's the chosen one, and when you put your trust in him, Peter goes on to talk about in that same context how we become living stones. We become part of the part of the chosen one. Paul uses terms like uh, in Ephesians, like we become members of his household, Ephesians 2.19. We become part of, quote, the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.12. One body, Ephesians 2.16 and 3.6, part of his body. And by the way, 3.6 talks about how we have this, this promises in him. So our election is all tied to being in Christ. And of course, for my Armenian friends, my Armenian brothers and sisters, who I believe have most of this correct, uh, that you don't have to divorce yourself from election according to foreknowledge uh, to hold corporate election. I hold both because in 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, it says very clearly to those who are chosen, chapter 1, according, verse 2, to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient 
uh, and sprinkled with the blood of Christ, Christ Jesus. So it's very interesting that he does foreknow who will put their trust in him. In fact, this is what the church fathers very, very clearly taught, uh, that, that God uses foreknowledge. God's omniscient, so it's not like he's like, i got to really focus on the future. He just knows everything. He knows who will accept the gospel and who will not. In fact, Paul is very, very clear uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, I believe, 11 through 13, that that those he predestined, he predestined, it says, in accordance with his plan. What plan? goes on to talk about those who would put their hope in Jesus, would be sealed. So his plan encompasses his foreknowledge of who will receive the gospel. And I love Romans 8, 28 and 29, for whom uh, God works all things together for the good, for those who love him, the call according to his purpose. He knows who's going to love him. Very next verse, for whom, for, connected to verse 28, whom he foreknew, he predestined, he conformed to the image of the Son, were elect according to the corporate body of Christ, by Christ's will and love through his sacrifice, were predestined according to his foreknowledge to be conformed to the image of the Son. We got a lot in in a half hour, but I hope that blesses you. Listen two or three times and you'll get it. Love you guys. God bless. Amen. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.